You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, serving you up quick-hitting news and analysis for Green Bay Packers fans. I'm joined by my friend Gil Martin, and my name is J.J. Leahy. Gil's a writer for thesportsdaily.com and Cheesehead TV, and in addition to this podcast, I host the Daily Cheese, Green Bay Packers News Update. We're here to talk Packers because we're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. We're praying this week we bounce back from that nauseating meltdown in Tampa. Yeah, you know, the, the, the painful thing about that loss, Tom Brady didn't play great. He was efficient. He did what he needed to do, but he didn't need to be great to really decimate the Packers. 38 points given up, 31 of them by the defense. Yeah, it was a typical Tom Brady win, but ultimately we did this to ourselves, right? It was self-inflicted. More, more of it was than not. Yes, absolutely. This was a painful game. We saw pretty much systemic failure at every level. I mean, even before Rodgers threw his pick six, the offense was off schedule. They weren't on the same page with each other. It was a rough start to the game. Then Rodgers gets spooked, and it was all downhill from there. And and the thing that bothered me most, you know, look, the pick six is going to happen, and you know, some people have tried to point out that, you know, Devontae should have caught that second interception, that that was a catchable ball. But at the end of the day, it bothered me that Rodgers did not really respond well after throwing those two interceptions. He didn't bounce back, didn't show any resilience. And that to me is as a fan and as a as someone who's watched a lot of football in his day, it bothered me that he didn't really respond positively. After those two interceptions, he had a lot of turnover-worthy plays the rest of the night. A lot of balls that really should have been interceptions, but they were dropped. And coming into this game, he was the only quarterback in the league who had zero turnover-worthy plays. This was clearly one of his worst um, performances ever. And unfortunately, uh, you could say that about a lot of the team. Uh, Very few players across the board played up to their ability. Everybody was just off, and we knew, we heard LaFleur and Rodgers both back this up, practice wasn't great uh, all week. And this is kind of a pattern we've seen for a long time from the Packers. Uh, going back over the last several years, they're terrible coming out of the bye. Not really sure why that is. In the Matt LaFleur era, games that they should have a, a big advantage in when they're coming out of the bye, when they're you know, going to uh, Los Angeles to play a pretty lifeless-looking Chargers team with almost no fans in the stands. And the fans that are there are Packers fans. For some reason, the team can't show up. Matt LaFleur has only lost four regular season games in his head coaching tenure. But all but one of them have been these just absolute blowout losses. The thing that all of those losses have in common, they've all been road games where there are long distance, you know, two trips to California, this trip to Florida. Uh, Two of them came off a bye week. There seem to be some similarities in the way that this is uh, sort of going down. Not that it's a good thing. And there's similarities on the field as well. 
uh, these losses, if you look at um, the defensive front uh, for the Chargers, the 49ers last year, the Buccaneers, it seems to be happening when you've got uh, a defensive front that is really getting after Rodgers and putting the fear of God into him. Uh, he he kind of crumples a little bit, gets all bug-eyed, starts seeing ghosts, starts trying to force the ball, force feed the ball to Devontae. Uh, you know, you, you see that 2018 Rodgers coming out, and I I don't know if it's um, a problem with our offensive line. Is you know, is there just a, a sort of a vicious cycle between Rodgers and the O line where they're feeding off of him, or he's just playing badly because because they're allowing pressure? I mean, to be honest, in Tampa here most of the O-linemen actually graded out pretty okay. Uh, Bakhtiari and Lindsay both did a, a fine job. Lucas Patrick wasn't terrible. Um, Elton had a bad night. Billy Turner had a bad night. But uh, And Ricky Wagner had a bad night when he well, came in. To, Rick, to Wagner, Rick Wagner allowed one pressure, and unfortunately that pressure was a sack. Right. And what you saw on that play is why he's not the starting right tackle for the team. Uh, I, I think he's a more talented player than Billy Turner, but he doesn't, he's not always on the same page with the other guys. I think he hasn't been in our scheme long enough uh, on, on that play. You saw everybody else moved and, and he didn't really know what he was supposed to do. And he allows a sack. And uh, although I think he's more talented than Billy Turner, Turner, is more on the same page with the other guys and at least knows his assignment on, on some of those, uh, on some of those plays. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing is that I think Wagner is much better suited to be a right tackle than a left tackle. The, you got faster rushers usually going up against the left tackle and he just couldn't handle the speed. That's absolutely true. And uh, obviously he, you know, you can't argue with the fact that he allowed a sack, but it was his only slip up of the, of the night. He didn't allow any other pressures. Right. It just happened that the one he allowed was devastating. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, you know, you talk about those losses, those three blowout losses plus the playoff loss uh, in the NFC Championship game. And one thing that those teams all had in common, in addition to getting a good pass rush, they have aggressive and fast linebackers, particularly yes. inside. And I think like that the offensive line struggles with those quick linebackers trying to make blocks on the second level for the running game. That didn't happen against Tampa Bay. And then trying to protect Rodgers when they start sending people, uh, that didn't work out that well against Tampa either, and certainly against the 49ers twice last year, the Chargers. I mean, Bosa was in our backfield all day during that game. So you, you look at that, there is sort of a common thread. And what bothered me so much about the, the, the offense was they didn't make adjustments on, and right. really on either side of the ball. But to me, the offense never really adjusted to trying to deal with the quickness of those linebackers and, and of the pass rush that Tampa Bay was getting on Aaron Rodgers throughout this game. If you take out uh, Aaron Jones's one long run for the night, which was like uh, eight yards, maybe nine yards. If, if you take that out, 
uh, he was averaging uh, about like a yard per carry for the night um, on these out- outside runs that normally are bread and butter. And there was a, an absolute failure on Lafleur's part to adjust what he was doing. I mean, the, the few times that we sent Jamal Williams or AJ Dillon right up the middle, it was it worked fabulously. This this yeah. big boy old school football just rough. I mean, it's frustrating because, and you saw this both on offense and defense. You saw the Packers trying to be cute. Uh, and you know we'll we'll let you talk about the defense in a minute but on offense they're trying to be cute with this outside zone run scheme that was not getting anywhere um Devin White uh Levante David kept blowing up Aaron Jones every single time he tried to run outside we have a guy on our roster specifically designed to be Derrick Henry and ran the ball down your throat if you are going to force us to play big boy football. His name is A.J. Dillon. He did great when we put the ball in his hands. And for uh, for a little bit there, I had to ask, is Mike McCarthy still running this offense? Because there's just a complete <laughs> failure to adapt, which is not something we see from Lafleur the nights that he wins. When we lose, this is a common complaint that, okay, why do we keep trying the same plan over and over again? Why, when we go up against the 49ers for the second time in the year, are we running the exact same plan we had the first time? Most of the time, he's really good at making adjustments. And it was just bizarre to me to watch Jamal and AJ have success running straight up the middle. And then we just never go back to that. And we keep trying to do the things that don't work. We keep trying to force the ball to Devontae, trying to force Aaron Jones to run outside when it's not working. Uh, This game, I don't blame on the players. We had everybody across the board played really badly. I don't blame the players. I blame the coaching. This is Matt LaFleur, Mike Pettin, and also Aaron Rodgers. I think those, those three guys are almost entirely to blame for what happened in Tampa. Yeah, it it was not a well-coached game uh, on Sunday, and they didn't make the adjustments. Look, you look at the statistics. The longest play offensively that the Packers had all game was a 25-yard inside run by Jamal Williams, and the second longest was a tie between a pass to Aaron Jones and a 20-yard run by A.J. Dillon up the middle as well. So, you know, two of your three longest plays were inside runs, and yet they did not change up, pound the rock. When the pass rush was getting to Aaron Rodgers, they didn't throw some screen passes or some shorter passes. Look, the two drives that scored, they were throwing crossing patterns three, four, six yards down the field, and that was working. And then they didn't do that for the rest of the game. So, it, 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 the the lack of adjustments on both sides of the ball really were frustrating. It was frustrating also to watch the Packers try to play to the Buccaneers' strengths and not their weaknesses. What in the world are we doing dropping Kenny Clark, who weighs 313 pounds, and Montrevious Adams, dropping them into coverage? What in the world yeah. is that supposed to do? Why are we sending a two-man rush against Tom Brady? Why are we sending... Third and goal 
sending a three-man rush so that Brady has all day to stand there and wait for a receiver to get open. It didn't make sense. And you know Brady was never mobile. Even when he was younger, he was not particularly good at escaping the rush. And yet we played back and didn't blitz and didn't rush very many players, you know, two, three guys, once in a while, four. But we need to do more than that. And again, when it wasn't working, when we weren't getting pressure on Brady, we didn't change it up. And Petten did not all of a sudden mix up his blitz formations and didn't make adjustments that maybe would have improved things a little bit when it comes to, you know, stopping that Tampa Bay offense. And eventually they got so far ahead that they were able to run the ball effectively and and we couldn't slow them down by that you know, by that point in the game. So it was very, very frustrating to watch on both sides of the ball. And the lack of coaching adjustments really made it even more difficult to stomach that kind of performance. I did like seeing that our run defense played better this week and they play better against Atlanta. Now, granted, neither Atlanta nor Tampa has really great running backs, especially with Leonard Fournette being out for this game. But like you said, really, until it was just such a far gone game and our defense was so exhausted, we were doing a fine job stopping the run. I mean, our, our defense, I really didn't have a problem with a lot of the players on defense, uh, especially, you know, Kingsley Kiki played his heart out. I uh, liked seeing that. Uh, the, and Jair was very, very good. Jair was really good. Honestly, Josh Jackson wasn't terrible. He did have the pass interference, and I think he had one other play that was pretty bad. But most of the night, uh, we had a lot of uh, you know uh, Tampa Bay punts that you can directly attribute to Josh Jackson. I, I really didn't wasn't super disappointed overall with his performance. Um, I, I I still think he has potential. I still think the Packers should keep giving him opportunities, keep keep coaching him up, you know, trying to help him grow between the ears. I did have a major problem with our pass rush. Uh, or lack thereof. Lack thereof. I mean, we, we, we sent Zadarius on, what, I think like 23 pass rush attempts. He generated one pressure that wasn't a hit. You look at the numbers from last year. Zadarius was averaging almost six pressures per game. He's averaging two and a half this year. Preston Smith, uh, three and a half last year, 1.4 this year. Kenny, uh, almost four pressures a game last year. Zero this year. Zero pressures this year. Now, yeah, he missed most of the season, but he played all night against Tampa Bay. The only pass rusher I remember doing anything was Rashawn Gary, you know, when he <laughs> tried to scratch Brady's eye out. <laughs> yeah, poke, poked him in the eye, which didn't help matters. But uh, and, and scary when that's the highlight of the pass rush, you know, I Isn't mean, that's uh, not a good sign. Let's put it that way. One other thing we need have to highlight special teams. Tyler Irvin missed this game and we had zero yardage returned punt or kick everything was either a touchback or a fair catch that doesn't hurt you necessarily for one week last year that's how we started the year and then teams started to notice so they stopped taking 
the touchback, and they started trying to pin us deep. Without Tyler Irvin, if we're missing him for any kind of extended time, we're in serious trouble on special teams again. It hurt. And I think it hurt the offense also. You didn't see the threat of the jet sweep or the, uh, you know, a lot of those short passes that I was talking about earlier. My, many of them probably would have been thrown to Tyler Irvin. So I, I think they missed him on offense as well. But yeah, the special teams, the return game was non-existent uh, in this game. And they can't afford to be without Irvin for an extended period of time unless they can find a legitimate replacement, which so far on the roster, I don't necessarily see. I'm going to play a quote from Aaron Rodgers earlier this week, talking about how this could be a positive for the Packers, talking about complacency and also the benefits of consistency. Everybody was getting kind of too comfortable and had to buy week and had a chance to soak it in. Hey, we're very, very good. Is that what you meant by that? I mean, I think we all need that a little bit when the complacency starts, starts to sink in and you start kind of feeling yourself a little bit, it's always good to, to kind of get knocked down a little bit, and, and it happens. I mean, I don't, like to, to deny that it happens is, is to deny the reality of uh, dealing with success. I mean, we all deal with it from, from some level. Yourself, too. you got to be careful, you and the boys. You know, when you start climbing too high, you got to remember what it took to get to that point. And I feel like we just, you know, we came into the season – not an unknown, but not many people talking about us, even though we were 13-3 in an FC championship. Then we went four games, pretty convincingly, and people are like, they're the best team in the NFL. Well, you got to play like it every week if you want to be the best team in the NFL. We Myself yeah. and our squad didn't. And I think it, it can be a good thing. I'm not saying, look, nobody wants to lose to figure things out, but you also can find ways to positively move forward we got our butts kicked, something that we can learn from. I, I stand by the things that I say, and I feel like that we can use this as a positive and, and a reminder when we start climbing that hill again that, you know, it, consistency uh, is the most important thing. And great teams have consistent habits. And so we got to keep doing the things that got us to 4-0 uh, in order to get back to where we want to be. The Texans are in pretty good shape. Uh, tight end Jordan Aikens is still not in practice. They are looking good, and this is kind of a dangerous team. It's a very talented team, and since firing Bill O'Brien, they have won one game and lost a very close game against the extremely good division rival Titans. This is probably a scarier matchup than we thought it would be, you know, three weeks ago. Yeah, and, you know, Packer fans don't need to be reminded of back in 2011. Green Bay goes 15-1. and The one loss was to Romeo Cronell's uh, Kansas City Chiefs that year. Yeah, it's weird. Romeo Cronell, the interim head coach, has a pretty terrible record as a as an actual head coach. He went 2-14 and 14 when he was the official head coach of the Chiefs. He went, oh, man, I can't remember, like, 42 and 20 or something like or uh, 20 and 42 or something like that as um, the head coach of the Cleveland Browns as an interim head coach he does really good he wins like 60 percent of his games as an interim head coach and, and this is a team where these players have a, a massive chip on their shoulder and feel like there's a lot they have to prove and, and I think he's a player's coach and that sort of helps when you're coming off a bad situation you put a player's coach in there it, it, it definitely, you know, he's a breath of fresh air. He cle he 
cleanses the palate, so to speak, in the locker room. And I think that makes him an effective interim head coach. Let's talk about a hot topic, and that is running back Aaron Jones. You and I are going to debate whether or not the Packers should give Aaron Jones a contract extension. We're going to ask our listeners, please reach out to us on Twitter. We're going to, we're going to post a poll. We're going to pin it to the top of our Twitter feeds for a week. I want you to vote on who won the debate. So, Gil, talk to me about Aaron Jones and the contract extension situation. Make your case. Well, I, I think that the Packers should try to re-sign Aaron Jones. And and look, the, the thing is, running backs in 2020, you don't want to spend too much money on them. But I think that Jones is the kind of guy that, you know, he's got a great work ethic. He's great in the locker room. I love the way he fits into this offense. He is made himself into a better receiver. He's a threat to score anytime he touches the ball. You don't want to pay running backs too much, but there are running backs who are worth plunking down some money. And to me, if they could sign him to a seven, eight, maximum $9 million a year kind of a deal, uh, it would be worth keeping a player with diverse talents, good attitude, good in the locker room, like Aaron Jones, around for another few years. But you can't overpay a running back in 2020. You could do it in the 70s, the 80s, maybe even into the early 90s. But uh, the Packers are fortunately deep at this position. But to me, the way Aaron Jones fits into this offense, the way he can move to the outside, also, you know, one cut and he's gone, kind of a runner. Uh, we, we know what he can do as a receiver. To me, he fits so well with this team and with this offense. And they would take a hit, I think, uh, if he were to sign elsewhere next year. And believe me, if he does sign elsewhere, he'll he'll excel. No question in my mind. No question also that Aaron Jones is just a fabulous guy. Really yeah. well-loved. I'm one of probably the most beloved players on the team. I just don't think that running back is a position that we can afford to spend this much capital at. Ezekiel Elliott was a running back that everybody said was clearly worth paying top dollar for. What has Dallas gotten from that? You got situations, even Christian McCaffrey this year, you know, he's gone and Mark Davis, you've never heard of Mark Davis. I've never heard of Mark Davis. He steps up for the Carolina Panthers and they, are doing fine without Christian McCaffrey, who's clearly the most talented player on their offense. Their offense is doing fine right now. Look at what the Chargers were able to get out of Austin Eckler when um, Melvin Gordon held out last year. The production that the Steelers got out of James Conner and, and the rest of the running backs in their room when Le'Veon Bell held out. Look at what happens every time Dalvin Cook goes down in Minnesota whether it's Latavius Murray or Alexander Madison, they step up. Is there a noticeable dip of production at the running back position? Yeah, there is. But is it worth how much you have to pay? Because you have to, if you're paying $10 million a year to your running back, well, that's $10 million you can't spend elsewhere. David Bakhtiari is a free agent. Corey Lindsley. Kevin King. I know a lot of Packer fans don't like Kevin King, but gosh, you saw what happened one week when we're missing Kevin King here. Jair needs to be extended next year. Devontae needs to be extended next year. If you're if you're trying to pay Aaron Jones, and he and he will 
fetch top dollar somewhere, whether it's with us, whether it's a different team, someone is willing to pay him. I don't think that running back is a position, especially when you look at the draft capital we expend this year, drafting AJ Dillon in the second round. We drafted him because we knew we couldn't keep both Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. We needed one of those guys to be replaced. I want to read off to you the base salary of the leading rusher for every Super Bowl winner since 2009. You've got the highest was in 2012. The Ravens paid Ray Rice $2 million. Now, the following year, Percy Harvin for the Seahawks, technically a wide receiver, he was getting $2.5 million a year. Outside of those two guys, there's only one, or only two, excuse me, in the last decade that have a base salary of at least $1 million. And that would be Damian Williams for the Chiefs and Amon Bradshaw for the Giants. Outside of that, every single one has made less than a million dollars per year. It's it's a pretty good statistic that you bring out. I just think the Packers offense needs playmakers. You know we only have one playmaker right now at wide receiver. I like Robert Tanyan. I like Jay Sternberger, but I don't think either one of them has entered Jermichael Finley territory. A.J. Dillon has potential, but he doesn't really bring the the home run threat to me that Aaron Jones brings. To me, I wouldn't pay him more than, let's say, uh, you know, Eckler is getting. And if it's all about money, I think Aaron Jones will find more money elsewhere. But I think he might be willing to give the Packers some kind of a hometown discount. And if he does, I think it's worth it to keep him around for 2021 and beyond. Well, head over to Twitter. Check us out either at JJ Leahy, L-A-H-E-Y, or at Gil Packers. That's just one L in Gil. A little bit easier to remember than my name. (laughs) And we're going to pin a poll here that's going to run for one week. Please go ahead and vote on that. Next week, we're going to read off who won the poll. And uh, Gil, may the best man win. There you go. Good luck. All right. One final thing before we close out, Gil. I want to test your Packers knowledge because – you're a you're a fan. You're a, a pretty uh, devout fan of the Packers, are you not? I am. I am. Have been for a long time. Won't say how long, but yeah. <laughs> All right. I got a, a quick um, quick series of questions here. Can't think too too long about these, but don't worry. It's multiple choice. You okay. ready? Yep. All right. What were the Green Bay Packers originally called? A. The Acme Packers. B. Bellevue Packers. C. Hagmeister Packers or D Indian Packers? I'll go with D. That is correct. All right. What Packers quarterback holds the team record for most passing yards in a season? Is it A Bart Starr, B Brett Favre, C Lynn Dickey, or D Aaron Rodgers? I will go with C. Uh, unfortunately, Aaron Rodgers beats him by just like uh, sixty passing yards in one season. <laughs> Okay, got it. 83 was Lynn Dickey's best season statistically. Yes, sir. Who was on the receiving end of Brett Favre's first NFL completion? A, (laughs) James Lofton, B, Brett Favre, C, Edgar Bennett, or D, Sterling Sharp? That that is Brett Favre, and it was for minus (laughs) seven yards. So, yeah. (laughs) Who was the first Packer to gain more than 8,000 career rushing yards? Was it A, Jim Taylor, B, Paul Horning, C, Amon Green, or D, Dorsey Levens? That would be A. Absolutely correct, sir. What team originally drafted Brett Favre? A, Green Bay Packers, B, 
Arizona Cardinals, C, Atlanta Falcons, or D, New York Jets? That would be C, and Jerry Glanville did not want to be within 10 yards of that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Who was the first Packer to snag more than 50 career interceptions? A, Herb Adderley, B, Willie Wood, C, Leroy Butler, or D, Bobby Dillon? That would be D, Bobby Dillon. Dude, you are you are killing it. Last question: Who held the pe- who held the position of Packers head coach for the longest time? A. Curly Lambeau, B. Mike Holmgren, C. Vince Lombardi, or D. Mike McCarthy? Not even close. It's A. It's A by a mile. Well, yeah. Gil, you pass with flying colors. Really proud of you. And uh, let me tell you what: it's been a pleasure talking Packers with you. Can't wait to do it again next week. Always a pleasure. That's it for today. We'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter at Gil Packers and at JJ Leahy to stay up to date on all things Packers or ask us questions and to vote. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Dot com.